From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. This is Jeff Holsclaw coming to you from Theology on Mission here at Northern Seminary in partnership with Missio Alliance. I'm flying solo. Dave Fitch is not here, but we're bringing you the content from our 2015 Missional Learning Commons, which was on the mission of preaching. Today, we have a special guest, special episode with Matt Tebby. Matt Tebby trains leaders to build Jesus-shaped cultures in their churches, communities, and homes using simple reproducible tools. He's a bivocational church planner in Fishers, Indiana at the table. He lives in the greater Indianapolis area with his wife and two kids, and he's bringing to us thoughts on a resurrection imagination. We hope you enjoyed. Please subscribe to Theology on Mission, and uh, we'll get, this is the fourth of the five special episodes coming from Mission Learning Commons, and that'll be coming out soon. I made a decision not to preach today uh, uh, because a little bit of what we've talked about, this, um, about what Dave talked about. Um, and so I made the joke, um, I don't know if Jeff appreciated it, but I made the joke that I wouldn't know what I was going to talk about until I heard what Tara Beth and Dave had to say. And so, um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a sense in which there'll be some proclamation in what I share today. But I, I've become, because of uh, Dave's influence in my life, um, he's a great friend and a mentor, uh, I've, I'm really sensitive to the kind of speech that we're using to, and what work it does. And so I, I, this, is a, this is a dialogue, a conversation, and there are points in it where you can proclaim, but uh, it would be a little weird for me just to start preaching at you because we're in a conversation. Right, Juliet? Right. Uh, I'm a church planner in Indianapolis. We're planning a church called The Table. Um, it's on the north side of Indy. Uh, we're about six weeks old. We have eight people and a bunch of kids. Uh, we don't even know uh, necessarily who's on our core team, but we have practices that define who we are. We've named, uh, rather than values, we named some practices. Um, I, got a ma- I got a copy of Dave's manuscript of his new book, and I just stole all those uh, practices. No, just kidding, Dave. Uh, but there is some overlap um, and one of the, uh, so the practice is just, if, I don't know if you're interested, uh, eating and drinking, mutual submission, communal discernment, peacemaking, presence, and proclamation. And I want to talk about proclamation today. And I don't know what title is on your sheet. Something about recovering a resurrection imagination. It's, uh, it's ridiculously long and obtuse. So I'm going to propose two things. Two things. Um, so proclamation is a practice for our church. In order for uh, my church, these are, these are, these are co- convictions I just want to submit to you and have some conversation about. In order for my church, the table, our church, the table, God's church, the table, to recover a resurrection imagination, proclamation has to be liberated from the pulpit. In order for our church to reclaim a resurrection imagination, proclamation has to be liberated from the pulpit. 
But in order for proclamation to be liberated from the pulpit, the good news has to get back into the proclamation. Proclamation has to be liberated from the pulpit and the good news has to get back into proclamation. Uh, Those are my two proposals. I think there's two of them. Uh, Proclamation isn't just for the preacher. It's for all of us. But unless the preacher proclaims good news, it won't get to any of us. So uh, I recently moved back to Indianapolis suddenly, quickly, and um, had, to, had to relocate my family almost a year ago this week, almost a year ago. Um, and we moved uh, out of a difficult situation. Um, I know this is hard to believe, but um, sometimes uh, Christian ministry situations blow up because people are idiots. And so that happened, and uh, we, um, we left. Uh, Chris, what, am I go- what time am I going to? Okay. Um, 50. 10? The 10? Okay. And uh, we moved back to Indianapolis, because that's where we were from. I'd been gone for... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've been gone for 10 years, and uh, we moved back to Indianapolis, and uh, we move in with my uh, in-laws. Um, so that... Cross that off the bucket list. <laughs> I'm moving with my in-laws. And uh, it's, a, it's a really dark season for me. Emotionally, I'm, I'm pretty I'm shredded. Spiritually, I'm sick. And there's something emasculating about living with your in-laws. So um, there's this scenario that plays out uh, rather frequently around our dinner table. I've got two little kids. Celeste is three. You might have seen her running around here. She's, she likes to sit on my lap. And Deacon, who's seven, who also likes to sit on my lap. Uh, but we had this dinner time thing, and this, this happened uh, this past year. We were living with my in-laws, and it was... Uh, my in-laws were there, and then they left. But it was this scenario where my little girl, who's three, she has great culinary habits. We have rules around our table. So you don't get to like what's for dinner. It's just for dinner. Where'd you get the idea you get to like it? <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so what we do is we say, sometimes you like dinner, and that's great. <laughs> wow! You actually like dinner! <laughs> Amazing! Right? But sometimes you don't. That's okay. But it's what's for dinner. Am I right, Deacon? Those are our, those are our, that's my son, Deacon. Yeah. So, uh, so my, my little girl, she's, she's uh, curious. She's precocious. She is 13-year-old in a 3-year-old body. I don't, it's like she watch, it's like she gets up at night and watches Cheetah Girls while we're sleeping or something. It's, it's ridiculous. So we're sitting at this table. She's precious and a little um, dinner terrorist all at the same time. And we're having uh, mashed potatoes. Now, mashed potatoes are like every kid's, I don't know, it's like a slam dunk, right, thing? But my little girl would rather eat, like, quinoa and kale and kimchi than potatoes. <laughs> so she's sitting at the table, and this plays out. If, you, if you've been a parent for 20 minutes, you've had this, right? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not eating the potatoes. 
Yes, yes, you are, right? Oh, you must forget the rule we have. Let me remind you. You don't have to like what's for dinner, but you do have to eat it. Well, there, there, hell hath no fury like a three-year-old who won't eat her potatoes. Amen? Can I get a witness? And so she is, her face is set like flint. She has this determined posture that she will not eat the potatoes. Been there? So what do you do? What do you do in that moment, right, where you've got a rule, right? And so my wife and I, we have a little different strategy. Sharon's all about, uh, let's just get through this meal because I've been home for 14 hours all day and I, I don't have it anymore. And I'm like, well, I've been, you know, I've been staring at books and, uh, you know, uh, praying the Lord's Prayer all day. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, and so uh, what, it, what it basically boils down to is I am the bad cop and Sharon's kind of the good cop, right? Uh, I'm, I default into this posture of, well, let me just back up. So this goes up, eat your potatoes, CC. No. All right. Well, uh, eat your potatoes, CC. No, right? Uh, eventually there's tears, there's snot. The potatoes aren't in her mouth, but they're on most of the other parts of her face. And uh, I tend to default to, you're going to eat your potatoes. And I don't care how long it takes. I don't care if the plastic booster seat rots away underneath your bottom. <laughs> I, I can outlast you. I got all night, right? That's me. I'm like, you're doing this, Right? Sharon's more like, you know what? They're just potatoes. Like, can we get her a cheese stick? Like, I, I don't want to be up at 2 a.m. with a hungry little girl, right? So that's, that's typically kind of where we go. And then eventually both of us jump into, I'm out, you're in. Like, I'm, I'm going to go do the dishes. You do this, whatever this is here. And, and I think, um, I think in that situation... Uh, it took an hour and a half, by the way, and I'll tell you how it, it, I'll tell you what happened towards the end, towards the 10. But uh, in that situation, there is, uh, can everybody relate to that, by the way? Uh, that situation happens every day with count, in countless contexts, with countless different people all over the place. And I'm struck by the fact that I actually It actually took me an hour and 10 minutes to have a resurrection imagination for how to deal with that situation. And I've, I don't don't brag, but I've mastered divinity. (laughs) You know? Such Such a pretentious degree. Can we fix that, bitch? You did it at a different seminar. The seminary that, that shall not be named. Uh, how, can, how can somebody who, I mean, literally, you guys, like we, um, if you're here, you've been a Christian for longer than 20 minutes. Because uh, I know you got saved when Tara Beth was preaching about the Holy Spirit. So 
so there's a sense in which how can we not have a resurrection imagination about how to deal with potatoes in a three-year-old? Oh. Real quick. How many of you were taught to share the good news? Like at some point, somebody sat you down and said, this is how you share the good news. How were you taught, Steve? Tell me about it. Give me 10 seconds. What does it sound like? Okay, do what they do. So spit in some mud, rub it on some people, get them saved. No, that wasn't it. No, give me some specifics. Like Bridge diagram, right? Right, you're going to die. Here's a bridge illustration. God loves you. I want to plan for your life. Okay, good. Like anybody else? Like any? This is basically it. Friendship evangelism. Yes. Which is what? Which is like I'm going to be your friend. Oh, Jesus, juke! And then like, here's a mem- here's a fighter verse. Is that how it works? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Friendship evangelism. Uh, well, so, so here's, here's like, okay, so here's me. I, I, was, uh, I came to Christ later in life, um, and I was taught to share my faith, basically the bridge illustration, right? Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is free. I'm sorry, it's free. Uh, free gift of God. How, buy now, right? No money down. Free gift of God. Uh, Jesus Christ our Lord, and Jesus is the bridge between the chasm where I am, sad, and the chasm where God is, all happy. Um, but 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 how uh, ludicrous for me to stare at my three-year-old and say, oh, "Everything you're doing now, the wages of this is death. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. You're an enemy of God." In fact, in fact, that proclamation of the good news, although true, isn't always helpful. It's true, it's just not true enough. And so there's a, you know, obviously there's an 80-minute talk or an 800-page book about how we've reduced the gospel to some sort of mechanism of how God could actually come to love such a worm like you and me. Right? But the gospel isn't just how does this work? Right? The other part is what I noticed going on with my wife and I. I'll just speak for me. Me, because I, I also go to the cheese stick option. What's going on with me when I'm, when I'm with my daughter or when I'm with anybody? And that is, there's this sense of me leveraging and leaning on any tool in my toolbox to get the right behavior that I want. So, I mean, I'm, I'm only 5'10", 1... 70-ish, uh, on, a, on a good day. Um, but I can really power up with a three-year-old. I can threaten. 
right? You don't get dessert if you don't eat this. I can bribe. You get two desserts if you eat this. Right? I can use fear. You are going to be so hungry and you're going to cry out in the middle of the night and no one's going to come for you and you are going to want to eat your pillowcase. <laughs> right? Right? I could use, I can use guilt. Right? Jesus says obey your parents and you aren't obeying your parents right now. I can use shame. CC, I thought you were a big girl. I thought, I thought that you actually trusted me. But now I see you don't. I, now I see you know what's best for you. So go ahead, make your own decisions. Get your own bath. Lord, help us. Friends, it would be one thing if we only talked to three-year-olds like this. But I hear, I hear this in my own imagination. And as I turn on Christian radio, those moments when I'm psychotic and I actually do it. I hear this. I hear this over and over and over again as proclamation of good news. I hear the trumping out of the tools of the enemy. Fear and guilt and shame. As lovers being used to try to get people to live in the kingdom of love, are we psychotic? I was talking to my friend John on the way here. He's in California. He's a charismatic reformed pastor. And he, like, he's like Jonathan Edwards uh, meets A.B. Simpson. Do you like that? I know, I know. I, but you do. I knew you liked that. I just, it just occurred to me. And, uh, and, I, I, and he's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm talking about how the tools of the enemy, fear, guilt, and shame, masquerade as good news. And we don't have an imagination for how to proclaim because we're so busy scaring people, threatening people, bribing people, shaming people, and guilting people to perform. And he was, uh, an hour later, he made me uh, doubt a little bit what I wanted to talk about. Because see, John, John is in a context in Southern California where, uh, where, where fear, fear, guilt, and shame, he said, everybody's talking about this, and he's like, Brené Brown that, and Oprah this, and so he's really rejecting kind of this movement to talk about these levers, these tools of the enemy, which I'm not backing down from that. And I realized what he was saying was, people want to say all fear is bad, all guilt is bad, all shame is bad. Get rid of it. Stop feeling shameful, okay? Zoe, that was, it'd be easy to do that if we could just stop doing it. And I want to say, no, no, fear, guilt, and shame are important, but they tell us something. They're horrible if we use them to move people because what happens is we identify, right? So what is fear? Fear says, fear says I have something to lose. Shame says, I have something to hide. And guilt says, I have something to prove. Right? Fear is, I don't have enough. Shame is, I'm not enough. Guilt is, I haven't done enough. Okay? You with me? These are the three temptations Jesus faces in the wilderness. These are the three things we hear from Eve when she sees the apple, pleasing to the eye. Right? 
desirous for uh, desirous for uh, for knowledge. Like these are First John chapter two. You can look this up later. Revelation twenty talks about this. James chapters three and four talk about this. Come here, sweetie. Come here. These are the tools of the enemy. They bring us to the cross, but they don't train us and teach us to live in a kingdom of love. There's not enough guilt. There's not enough guilt to teach you how to be loving like Jesus. There's not enough fear to scare you into a wise, loving, discerning disciple of Jesus. So I don't want to get rid of them. But I want to say let's stop using them as a substitute for what we should be proclaiming. Which is the good news of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? So then what is, what is proclamation? What are we proclaiming? <sighs> what does it sound like? Because Jesus came to save us from the very thing that we're using to get people to follow Jesus with. I just can't get past that. Well, let me just throw this out. I'm say, this is my third proposal. And I really hope somebody disagrees with me. We've got to get some dialogue going on here. Uh, I want to suggest that good news sounds like grace and truth. Thank you. Scott, come on, baby. Come on. Good news sounds like grace and truth. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is about identity. You've heard this. Uh, Jagger, was that his name? Jagger, sorry. When Jagger came up to Tara Beth and looked her in the eye, 70% 70% of communication is nonverbal. And I'm freezing right now. Like, I'm, my teeth are clenched. And my, there's like 30% of the muscles on my chest are shaking. Like, I'm so cold. My nose is running. It's probably in my mustache. So, like, there's a sense in which if you're looking at me and you're like, why is he twitching? Like, that's what's going on with me. But when Jager, I keep thinking Mick Jagger. Tom Jagger. Tom Jagger gets and looks at Tara Beth. Here's what he's communicating. And tell me if I'm wrong, please. He's saying, I'm with you. I see you. You're scared, and I am with you. I'm leveraging all my strength for you right now. You don't know how money you are, but I know how money you are. And I'm not embarrassed to be seen with you. In fact, in fact, everything that everybody knows about me, I'm leveraging on your behalf right here. I'm with you. Grace is, I'm with you. I see you. I'm connected to you. We're engaged together. I don't have time to preach on this, but if we think that grace was invented by God to deal with sin, we don't understand grace. Grace existed, has always existed within the life of the Trinity. Before Ryan and I screwed things up. Grace is identity. And truth, I don't know, is agency, vocation, authority. Truth is, here's what you've got to do. So as Tara Beth is scared to death, standing on the platform, he says, I'm not going to tell you, it's okay. We'll just go, let's go get an ice cream cone. 
He's not looking at her saying, you get in that water. And you, no, he's saying, come on, you can, let's do it. It's vision. It's empowerment. It's, I trust you, Terabeth. Do you trust you? And friends, that's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus' plan is, if we listen to what Jesus has to say, is this. You? Sam? Right? Go. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I trust you with it. You got my spirit. You have access to my resources. You have my name. You are part of my body. Truth is, God speaks authority and vocation and agency over us. It's an empowering lifting up, calling us in, not calling us out. Makes us become more alive. And friends, I want to suggest that we've got to recover love as being something more than a sentimental bumper sticker, a sexualized video on Vivo, or something we're skeptical about because of our past hurts and pains and wounds. Trust me, I've got them. Love is scandalous and strong, the most transforming power in the universe. And we have to learn how to proclaim it and say it to each other. We have to learn how to proclaim the good news to each other, full of grace and truth, not one or the other. It's not as though when Jesus was graceful, he had less truth. Grace without truth isn't Jesus' grace. And truth without grace isn't Jesus' truth. The truth will set you free. That's, that's truthful of grace. Truth that will bind you up, bear you down, beat you up, overpower you, make you feel like crap, single you out, call you out. That's not the truth of Jesus Christ. So a few thoughts about how to tell uh, good news. I might have already said them, but let's just see. I actually did write some things down this morning. Good news is full of identity and authority. Full of, this is what I mean by identity. It's full of who God is and who you are because of who God is. Okay? Who God is and who you are because of who God is. And then authority is, this is how God wants to trust you. That's what I mean by that. I'd love, some, I'd love to have some dialogue about that. So good news proclaims a new world that we are invited to live into. It connects with and calls people up and into the kingdom. It acknowledges fear, guilt, and shame, but doesn't allow you to continue to identify as the fearful one because perfect love casts out that fear, people. It casts it out. Jesus despises the shame of the cross. He's, he's dealt with our, sh- our shame and fear and guilt, but we don't tell each other that because we don't trust it. We don't trust it. So we acknowledge fear, guilt, and shame, but we don't use it as a lever to get people into love. That's the difference between toxic and healthy guilt and fear and shame, and I don't have time to talk about that. So some tests for whether it's good news. Does it sound like something Jesus would say to his friends? Does it sound like something Jesus would say to his friends? I can't, I can't even explain to you the power, the power, the first time I realized 
Jesus, when he said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, he wasn't yelling at him. I can't even tell you the first time it occurred to me that when he said, where are those who would condemn you? Are there any here? And neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The first time I heard that, and it wasn't shaming, passive aggressive, or, or discouraged, or a threat, or a warning. Next time, I'm not going to draw picture pages in the dirt for you. You better get your butt in gear. The first time it occurred to me that that's not the God revealed in Jesus Christ changed everything for me. Does it sound like something Jesus would say to his friends? Does this sound like I'm an advocate for this person or does it sound like I'm an adversary or an accuser for this person? Friend, you've been given the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe that, ask Terabeth. You need to listen to her talk again about, about how we, it operates, he operates in preaching. The Spirit is an advocate. We have an adversary. We have an accuser. But we're not meant to be it for each other. Does it call for surrender or does it leave us more in control? If it calls for surrender, it's probably a proclamation of good news. If it invites you to take more control, to white-knuckle it more, it's probably moralism, and you're probably trapped. God, save us from that. Does it speak to primarily who you are and who God is? Or are we busy shooting on ourselves? Is it identity? Or are we just shooting on ourselves? <sighs> Real quick. So at the table, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm just done. I'm done. I've quit at least twice. Sharon's quit. Um, I don't go to the cheese stick because I'm just like, I'm just dug in. I'm, du- I'm dug in. Finally, finally it occurs to me that what my daughter needs isn't threats or bribes or fear or guilt or shame. What my daughter needs is love. And so uh, I just looked at her and I said, Cece, uh, you don't like potatoes, do you? No. I said, uh, you, like, you really don't like the way they feel in your mouth and you don't like the way they taste. And now they're cold and you don't like them, do you? No. I said, I get it. I said, uh, I said, mommy cooks food I don't like either. (laughs) And I have to eat it. And I don't like the way it feels in my mouth. And I don't like, I don't like it when it's cold. I get it. I just sat there in that. Because I realized, I realized she had not had anybody see her for where she was. We're just trying to get her to do what we wanted her to do. Jesus sees people where they're at. And then I said this. I said, but I know, Cece, that you are a courageous, strong little girl. Remember when you climbed that ladder? Remember when you dove in that water? 
Remember when you did X and, the, and I just kept naming these things she did that she was scared to do. She didn't think she could do and she did them. And I said, you are strong and powerful and you, I know you can eat these potatoes. And I said, here's the deal. You know that there's no dessert in our family unless you eat your dinner. And I want you to have dessert. Everything in me wants you to have an ice cream cone. But you have to choose if you have ice cream tonight. And I've seen how strong and courageous you are, and I know you have it in you to choose to eat these potatoes. And it took like 30 minutes of proclaiming identity to her and agency for her. Here's who you are. Here's the responsibility you can take. But she had three bites. She took the first bite. And by that time, my my six-year-old, seven-year-old was like cheering for her. Because he was waiting on dessert. <laughs> but um, this ha- that happened about a year ago. And sh- she was two and a half at the time. Almost three. She still talks about it. It's this little Ebenezer for her. It's this Ebenezer because her parents finally realized, and we've realized it in a sense, but how her parents finally were able to give her some good news that helped her step into our love for her rather than just trying to control and manage her behavior. We need to liberate proclamation from the pulpit. But in order to do that, we got to get the good news back in the proclamation.